Ian e. Baum says this about prayer in his book, The Power of Prayer. He says, prayer is not a petty duty put into a corner. It is not a piecemeal performance made out of the fragments of time which have been snatched from business and other parts of your life. Prayer demands the best of your time and the heart of your time. Ian Bounds is saying prayer must not be some add-on to your life. It must be the most important and most valued activity in your life and in the life of the church. I wonder as you sit here this evening, how is your prayer life? If you watch the video of your life, what would we conclude about the place of prayer in your life? If you want to run interviewing people that knows you, what would they say is the way you look at prayer and how important it is to you? And we must ask the same question for us as a church, isn't it? It's it's not a very comfortable question to ask, but are we a praying church? Is there a hunger in us to meet not only for the teaching of the word, but also to meet for prayer with one another? Not just on Saturday morning, but also other informal times. Are, you, are we calling one another up to find out what's going on in our lives and to ask for prayers? These are difficult and painful questions. I mean, as a pastor, I feel that just asking that, I already feel very much indicted. It is a, we, but we need to ask these questions. First of all, we need to ask it because we're going through Mark. So we don't have a choice what we look at. The Lord is setting the agenda. We're going through Mark verse by verse. And we, this morning we came to verse 35 of chapter 1. We need to ask it also because verse 35 itself of chapter 1 reminded us this morning that the kingdom of God, which Jesus has come to establish, advances through prayer. We learned this morning that the praying life of Jesus, Jesus himself prays even now in heaven. And his praying life saves us from sin. Because it is the means through which Jesus himself remained sinless. He obeyed, he fulfilled every righteousness demand on him. And it's through his righteousness that we are saved. Because if Jesus does not remain obedient, his death on the cross becomes meaningless for us. So we might even say, prayer saves us. And we know something else, don't we? We know that as as believers, we are now members of the kingdom of God. If you are a follower of Jesus this evening, you have been called by Jesus to follow him and partner with Jesus in advancing the kingdom of God. And as we saw this morning, the kingdom of God, again, advances not only through the praying of Jesus, It also advances through us, through our praying. As we follow Jesus, we become praying people. We can pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. And we can pray that that kingdom is worked out in our lives. So prayer is key for us as kingdom agents, if you like, or as kingdom partners with the great king. So the question I want us to ask this evening is this. What does it mean to be a praying person? Because if you're a true follower of Jesus, you must be a person of prayer. So what does it mean to be a praying person? So look again with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And let me just read that verse again. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there, that is Jesus, he prayed. And there are three things I want us to learn this evening about what it means to be a person of prayer. And it's in front of your outline. The first thing is that a person of prayer, a praying person, prays. Okay? So if you like, it's straightforward. A praying person prays. There is no person who is truly converted. Listen to this. There is no person who is truly converted who has zero desire to talk to God. One of the marks that you truly belong to God, that you've been born again, is that you want to talk to Him. Jesse Rouse says this. To be, a, to be prayerless is to be without God, without Christ, without grace. And without heaven, it is to be on the road to hell. And this is truth, isn't it? Because we see in verse 35 here that God the Son prays. And if you claim to be born again, if you share his nature, the nature of Christ, as if you, are, you can say you are a child of God, then you too must have a natural, supernatural desire. I should say, that flows from Christ to talk to God. Let's read this 35 again. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And what did Jesus do? He bowed his knees. There he prayed. Prayer comes first to Jesus. Notice that he rises up very early in the morning. And he seeks the face of God. He comes first to Jesus because, you see, prayer to Jesus is not something that Jesus does. Prayer to Jesus is a fundamental part of his unbroken relationship with God. It is who he is. He's a walking prayer, we might say. Just as when a, ba- when a newborn baby is born, what is the first thing a newborn baby does when they're born? Yeah? Mothers. They cry, right? The newborn baby cries. That's how we know, you know, there's a bouncy baby somewhere. You, you hear them cry and the doctors check that they're crying. Well, in the same way, Jesus, who is eternally begotten of the Father, before all worlds, naturally cries out to God. And this is all true for us if we're genuinely born again. If you are a child of God this evening, you have a natural, we might say, supernatural inclination to talk to God. A person who never prays at all to God is not a believer. The person who never prays does not feel the weight of her sins. She does not love God and long to talk to God. She does not feel indebted to Jesus and what he's done. There is no deep longing in his heart to become more like Jesus. For God to work his power in his life. That's why he doesn't pray, because he's not yet born again. Remember, the baby, when he's born, the baby is born immediately. I'm talking about here a situation in which there's no prayer in your, in your life. At all. You must understand this point is vital. Truly, people are truly born again, pray. Listen, you may be a walking Bible. You may, as you sit here this evening, a nine-point Calvinist. 
Uh, you may be even a great preacher. But all of this counts for nothing. The question is this. Do you talk to God? As well as talking about God. Do you love talking to God? Do you notice when you have not prayed? A baby notices when she has an had meal. You know, they will ask notices. Baby is crying everyone. Do you notice that? that I've missed talking to Jesus today. These questions are difficult, isn't it? But we must take them seriously. Because if the answer is no to this question, you must stop here in the sermon. You are not yet born again. And you need to stop here and cry out to God to save you because by His providence, God has ordained prayer as a means to which we can able to authenticate whether we are even believers. Is there that natural desire to pray? And if it's not there, then let's not have debates. Let's repent now. Seek help to turn from your sins and have a life with Christ. If there's no desire at all, you are not converted. It is that simple. A true follower of Jesus is born again. They are a praying person. That is our first, and yes, I agree, difficult truth. But it is the truth. The second truth we learn here from Jesus is that a praying person prays fervently. Prays fervently. So the point, it's important you understand that, you know, Christians can struggle with prayer, yes. But if you don't pray at all, you're not converted. But if you are converted, you should be growing to pray fervently. There is room for quick prayers. There is. We all need those breathless prayers, don't we? But they must be supported by a strong foundation of good quality time spent with God in secret. There is something wrong with a wife who only wants to spend time with her husband in public. But she can't bear him in private. There's the same problem with that. There's something wrong with a husband if all the husband wants to do is be in public with his wife, but he can't spend seven and broken time on a holiday somewhere with her, just focusing on her. All of us here would recognize, isn't it, there's something wrong with that marriage. Is it healthy? No. We said, no, it's not healthy. Something has gone wrong there. We're in the same way. If all the person does is pray quick prayers, quick chats with God, and has no desire to even spend an hour with God, there is something wrong. Let us be honest with one another. There is something wrong there. You see, Jesus here is God in this verse. And we see here that God is spending time seeking the face of God. He's spending the best of his time to be with his Father. And he's doing it for a considerable time. Look at verse 35 again. And rising very early. Notice he's arrived very early in this desolate place, which we discuss more thoroughly in the morning. He has arrived very early. The phrase there, very early, as I said in the morning, it means that it's probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The best guess is this is 4 a.m. Jesus is doing this. And notice also when Peter and Cole find him. Because look, let's read on verse 36. So he's going to pray. Verse 36 says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. You should notice that the word for search there in verse 36 
really means that he has been hunted down. That's what the literal word means. And Simon and his friends hunted Jesus down. They are turning up the town. They are looking through all over the place. Where is Jesus? They don't know where he is. He's gone. And they're probably waking up at, I don't know, 8, 7, 6 a.m. I don't know when these guys wake up. They've woken up and realized Jesus is not there. And they're going all over town to look for him. And it's taken them a long time to find Jesus. And my guess as I look at this, I'm thinking, Jesus has not been praying for 10 minutes before Simon gets to him. No, my guess is Jesus has probably been praying for, from 4 a.m. And by the time they find him, 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. It's just a guess. But I think it's a considerable amount of time. More than six hours, I think, Jesus has been in prayer. Well, we can't be sure, but what is clear here is that Jesus enjoys being with the Father. He enjoys spending time with God, being in his presence. And he sets aside quality time to be with God. Now, <laughs> I, I encourage you this morning, as elder, we don't have to worry about those long prayers. And I still stand by that. You know, we are not all Luther, isn't it? Three hours. You know, the Puritans, four hours of prayer. That's not what this is about. I'm not saying we should always spend three hours a day on prayer. But we need to have regular moments of fervent, uninterrupted prayers. We need such moments of communion with God for the same reason that we need regular time, for those of you who are married, with your spouses. You need, yes, you talk to your spouse all the time, but you need some alone time, don't you? On a regular basis. You schedule, you know, a good amount of time to be with them over all of the time, just for them. You're doing that, why? To nourish your marriage and to keep you free from temptation. All of us need to hear that, don't we? And all followers of Jesus need to hear that. Because in this world, we are like endangered species. Satan is after us. The world is after us. The flesh is after us. And we need unbroken fellowship with God. The dangers are everywhere. Trees which stand on top of a cliff need to send their roots deep. In the same way as you live in this dangerous world, you must be rooted in God. Deep rooted in God. For you to live as God wants you to live in this world, you must draw all your resources from outside this world. You need time with God. The first step towards backsliding in your Christian life is that you stop spending quality time in prayer. There's no doubt about it. You start reading the Bible without prayer. You hear sermons without praying. You enter into relationship without praying. You start a new job without praying. You start serving without praying. You even start preaching without praying. Evangelism without prayer. That's how we backslide. The point I'm making is that people backslide on their knees before they backslide in public. Something goes wrong in the secret chambers of the heart before we hear about it. And so you must ask yourself, how is your prayer life? What is going on in the secret chamber? Are you drawing time, quality time with God? In the London Underground, we hear that phrase, don't we? Mind the gap. 
They're telling us, mind the danger in front of you there. And what we do when we hear that, well, if you travel so many times, we don't, we don't bother anymore. <laughs> but I hope that we still take serious notice of it. Especially when it's very busy. We mind the gap. Well, I would ask the same question about your spiritual life. Are you minding the danger of living a life without prayer? Are you minding the danger? Are you conscious of that danger of having just rushed, inconsistent prayers? Serious question. Is this church minding the danger of having so many of us completely prayerless? So little attendance for critical prayer meetings. Well, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you must ask yourself that question. You must ask yourself because your Lord, the Lord Jesus, has given you the example here. He prayed fervently. He who is God prayed fervently. And we must come before God to ask for help to pray. I mean, that's the Christian life. We need prayer to pray. We need to start praying that God will help us to pray. Because we need it desperately. And we need to pray for God's help. Because why? We can't do it on our own. Because you see, the cost of praying is very difficult. Prayer costs us. And that's why so many of us don't pray. And that is the final point I want to make. A praying person prays sacrificially. A praying person prays sacrificially. If your prayer life is currently costing you something, I want to encourage you. Keep going. If you are praying and it's costing you a lot just to pray, keep going at it. If it is not costing you anything to pray, then I'm pretty sure you're not growing in your prayer life. If it's not costing you anything, you're not growing in your prayer life. Because you see, a true praying life always grows in denying ourselves before God in prayer. We are always looking to spend more time with God, more time with God. And that costs us, sometimes it even costs us our relationships in our home. And we see this sacrifice Christ pays just to pray out there in verse 35. Let's look at verse 35 again. Jesus is sacrificing a lot here in this verse 35. Notice the key word in verse 35. Let me read it. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. The key word there is that Jesus departed. He departed. He left behind where he was in Simon Peter's house. You see, Jesus must leave Peter's house in order to be with God. And by leaving Peter's house, he makes three critical sacrifices. Which we also must make if we are to grow in prayer. First of all, Jesus is sacrificing comfort to pray. He's sacrificing comfort to pray. Look at verse 35. And what does he do? And rising very early in the morning. That made me surprised when I read that. Why am I surprised? Because of what happened on Saturday. This is happening on Sunday. Saturday was a busy day for Jesus. He, he was healing. He was, he was talking in the synagogue. He was healing the sick. The entire town, verse 34. They came outside, verse 33. Came outside, Jesus is. Simon Peter's house. I would not begrudge Jesus a night sleeping. If anyone deserves to sleep in bed, at this moment, is Christ. 
But Jesus is not choosing to sleep in bed and enjoy extra sleep, which he richly deserves. No, we are told here in verse 35, and he departed and went out to a desolate place. Jesus is sacrificed comfort. Jesus knows that prayer that costs nothing, listen to me, prayer that costs nothing is worth nothing. King David says, I will not give to God something that costs me nothing. And he made sure he paid the money, didn't he? If you've read the story of King David. Jesus knows that if we are to go before God who we love so much, as we give our wives the best gifts that cost us something, as we come before God, as we offer up our prayers before God, they must cost us something. They must cost us our comfort. So he's sacrificing his personal comfort here to be with God. What about you? What comfort in your life is currently too difficult for you to sacrifice in order to spend focused time before God alone? What is it? We might ask, what comfort is stopping you from spending time here on Saturday mornings with brothers and sisters in prayer. We should. And I'm sure Brother Mike would want me to ask what comfort is stopping you from coming to the Lord's table because that also involves prayer in some of the evenings. Difficult, hard questions that penetrate to our hearts, isn't it? You see, one of the comforts of our age is social media and television. There is sleep, and I'll leave you to think, think about whether sleep is something that, that is a massive comfort for you. I'm sure that will be the direct application of the text. But I want to talk about a different comfort of our age, which is social media and television. A, a report published last week by Ofcom says an average person in the UK now spends 24 hours online via their gadgets, mostly through their mobiles, a week. That's one day out of seven. You are actually just on there. The same report says nine out of ten people in the UK now spends three hours, over three hours, just watching TV per day. That's per day. Per day. Just less than 24 hours, I guess, over a seven-day period. I wonder, have you ever considered if you decided to repent of your addiction to social media, you may actually have time to talk to God for one hour a day? Have you considered that? You have 24 hours, but if you repented of your addiction, you would have one hour out of 24. And the absolute Lord will still allow you to use 12 hours of that for that. Have you thought about if you just live in that addiction, repenting that addiction before the Lord for TV? If you just turn that off and um, how your life may be structured different in a life without that dependence? I have to ask myself that because I suffer from the same challenges, especially in this area. That is just one comfort. Uh, some of you spend more time in the gym, or perhaps you spend more time in gardening or reading than you do in prayer. Some of you spend more time in other different activities that you have. Other things that are comfortable. Film watching and other things. Look, we can't be prescriptive on these things. We are not Judaizers. 
But these are giving you some indication of potential areas you need to ask yourself. Am I growing in denying my comfort to spend time with the Jesus I love? That's the question you need to ask yourself. So Jesus is sacrificing comfort. The second thing we see when he departs here is also sacrificing company to pray. Did you notice that? And rising very early in the morning, while it was dark, he still departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. The key thing is that Mark is pointing out it is him by himself. Jesus is going by himself. Okay? And the location where he's gone here is, we say, desolate places. Other translations actually, perhaps the NIV, say, solitary place. It's emphasizing that Jesus is going alone to pray. That's important. He could have taken Peter, John, James, Andrew. But he is purposely leaving them behind to be alone with his father. There is time to be with our loved ones, brothers and sisters. And even time to pray with them. But above all, above all, we need alone time with God. We need time alone with God to deal with us, to pray to him so that he helps us. In our advancing the kingdom of God, isn't it? We need his help. We need alone time with him. And as I thought about Jesus sacrificing company here, it raised two questions in my, in my heart. The first is, are you willing to give up an aspect of your social life to free up more, more alone time with God? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do less meeting up with friends just to have time more with God? Are you willing to do less social networking just to be with Jesus? Are you asking God whether the way your life is configured is an hindrance to having a fruitful time of prayer alone with God? We have to ask that. Is your family helping you to pray, even praying alone? Or is it hindering that? Should you think about and ask the Lord for help on how you do that? So that was the first thought I had. The second thought I had is, are you obstructing people in your life having more alone time with God? I thought about this. I thought, am I spending as much time as I should? But then I started thinking of my wife. I started thinking, am I helping her to pray? Alone. As married people, I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Do you allow your spouse to have at least two hours a week by themselves in prayer? Or have you filled up their to-do list? Are you even encouraging your spouse to attend prayer meetings in the fellowship? You recognize prayer is so important to them. So actually what you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take up this burden, but I want you to go and pray with that person or pray with others. There are so many dimensions here, isn't there? And these are important questions. Are you an hindrance or are you helping to somebody's prayer life? The, second, the final sacrifice. So I said, he's sacrificing comfort with sin. Jesus is sacrificing company. And finally, we see here that Jesus is sacrificing, listen to this, Jesus is sacrificing ministry to pray. Ministry to pray. Amazing. Jesus left early to pray. Have you thought about why Jesus is left early to pray here? 
Jesus is leaving early to pray to get away from the crowd that is coming in a few hours. He who is God knows the crowd is coming. And in fact, this verse, by the way, is sandwiched between verse 33 and 34 and verse 37. And when Mark does that, he's drawing our attention to the middle. Verse 33 and 34, the crowds are with Jesus. Verse 37, they come to look for him. And he's drawing our attention that, look, Jesus is actually getting away from the crowds. Let's read verse 36 and verse 37. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. What does Simon says? And said to him, everyone, the entire town is back. They were there in verse 33. They are back. They are looking for you. And we'll look at this verse a bit more next week, by the way. He uh, said, they are looking for you. Peter thinks Jesus is wasting time praying. Did you notice that? He said, what are you doing here praying? In fact, the original wording actually does give that impression that he's actually rebuking Jesus here. So what are you doing here praying? Look, there is work to be done. People have come. I mean, it's like, who's following who here? It's like, you know, there's work to be done. He wants Jesus to go out there because Peter thinks the kingdom of God advances by doing lots of stuff. That's how Peter thinks. But Jesus knows the kingdom of God does not advance by doing lots of stuff. The kingdom of God advances through prayer. Jesus chooses here to let go of ministry time to spend quality time with God. He needs to be plugged into God so that the power of God can flow through his ministry. He needs God's anointing, so if you like, to continue doing the work. The kingdom of God advances through prayer. And that means sometimes it means sacrificing our activities so that we can step out of the activities and allow God to work through them. So sometimes I find, I struggle with this actually, by the way, because sometimes it means that, you know, you, you don't have as much time spending time preparing a sermon. You're spending time praying. It, it does mean in your own life as you're doing work at home, it means sometimes you do less of the domestic work that you need to do for mothers here who are at home, and just say, look, let the mess be. I need a long time with the Lord. And of course, as husbands, we need to understand. I'm sure my wife will repeat this to me when I get home. We need to understand that, don't we? We need to understand that. We need to learn, because in prayer, we surrender to God and allow Him to work. Now, praying, you know, giving up activity so that we pray takes a lot of trust in God. If I drop everything to pray, what happens if God does not intervene to help me? That's what we ask ourselves. And this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. You say you believe in Jesus, but as your life shows, you believe God answers your prayers. You claim prayer works. But are you willing to sacrifice some of your activity so that you spend more time with God in prayer to lead you? I have to say, sadly for many of us, the answer is no. And that is why our churches are full of people who profess faith, but hardly never pray. They never pray. They have chosen activity over prayer. That is why our churches are full of people who only attend on Sundays and are nowhere to be seen in midweek and suddenly completely absent from times of prayer. Why is that? 
You know, pastors who I speak to, I've only been a pastor for 21 months, but pastors I speak to who've served longer, they tell me, I can verify this, they tell me midweek is dying. There was a time when people came to midweek, and it was one of the most popular midweek, where you come on Wednesday or Thursday, it is dying. Activity, many churches don't even do that anymore. And of course, we know already with evening services and other things. Prayer meetings nearly in most churches now is a worst-attended meeting. Now, we can have people who say they're members, they believe in God, but for me, if you are not crying out to God and you don't see the need to pray to Him, that speaks volume, doesn't it? It speaks volume. And the, the reason for all of this is that the sacrifice of prayer is too great for many. Many believe in God, but not in prayer. I want to encourage you as we come towards the end of this, that Jesus believes in prayer. He believes in fervent and sacrificial prayer as he's doing it here. And if you belong to him, if you have come to faith in Jesus, if you have repented of your sin, if you have reached that position where you've completely surrendered your life to Christ, you must be a man or a woman of prayer. We need to be people of prayer, not only because it is who we are in Jesus, but also because of what God has done for us in Christ. Friends, is it a sacrifice to talk to my wife who has given up all her life? To put up with me. Is that a sacrifice? No. It is not. That's not a sacrifice for me to spend time chatting to her when she's given up everything to marry me and be with me. It's not a sacrifice. It is not even the minimum she deserves. What more has friends? What more us? What more us who are in Christ? What more Jesus? Is it a sacrifice for you to place prayer as your priority in your life? It is not even a sacrifice. I know, that eliminates my second point. But I'm, but I'm making it clear here. Look, friends, the sensational grace of Jesus is our motivation for why all true followers desire to grow in spending time with God. Because this morning we learned that God has come in Christ as one of us. He has lived a life that we couldn't live and died the death we deserve on the cross for our sins. Our Lord Jesus now not only saves us from sin, He gives us now free and permanent access to the most powerful person in the universe, the Lord God Almighty. And more than that, friends, Jesus is now giving Himself to you even as we speak. Every day, he bears up your burdens. Every minute, He's caring for you. Every second, He's showering you with His love. Jesus never gives up loving you. In Jeremiah, He tells you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He can't stop thinking about you. As I thought about this, I thought, Jesus, even now, He's praying for me. At this very moment. Even now, I am on his mind. And even now, he is longing for my arrival in heaven to see him face to face. And this passage tells me, look, I don't need to wait until I get to heaven to enjoy Jesus. I can enjoy his presence now. 
So if that's you, if you have truly repented, my encouragement as I come to an end this evening is, look, go to God now. Examine your life. Look at your life. Am I praying? Do I pray? I don't pray at all. Repentance. Cue number one. If you pray, but you're struggling in prayer, ask yourself, fervently are you praying? You're not praying. Okay, you want to grow in praying fervently. Okay, look at your life. What areas do you need to, to, to bring before God? Is it comfort that's stopping you? Is it company of friends? Examine those areas. Offer them up to God. Is it ministry? Is it, is it activities you're doing? Bring them before the Lord. Allow the Lord to help you to be a person of prayer. Repent of your failure to pray and ask Him to help you. Jesus is your loving King. He wants to help you pray. Even now, He's praying for you. So go to Him. Ask Him to help you grow. You do it for His glory and your good. But if you don't, even after this sermon, you don't cry out in repentance to God. You continue a life of prayerlessness. Then point number one is what? Applies to you. There's no desire. There's no growth in prayer. Then you're not converted. And my prayer is that you pray that you come to God and ask Him to change you from within. Cry out to Him. He will serve. He's a mighty Savior. Amen.